Welcome to the Pious, the Pig, and the Podcast. I'm Colby Mitchell. And I'm Davis Pig. It's a podcast where I'd like to teach Davis a little something about the Catholic faith, and he likes to make fun of me for it. Davis, what's going on? Man, I'm feeling good today. This is going to be a good podcast. I'm really excited for my bit on the end. It's going to be fun. It's probably going to be very nerdy. But uh, but yeah, no. I'm feeling good about this podcast today. Well, good. I keep, I'm feeling good about it, too. Every, every week we do one, I, I release it, and somebody tells me that's your best one yet. So either our listeners are very good at patronizing me, mm-hmm. or we're doing better. I heard that. Heard the same thing from my sister. Like thought Good. the last thought the last week I was like ah you know it could have been better you know uh, you know maybe a bit low energy on my part and she came she comes up and says oh that was the best one yet I was like well I have no gauge on this apparently <laughs> I, I, you know I don't know what to do I just speak into a mic for a hobby big uh big shout out to your sister too because she uh if you have a problem with the topics uh, over the next. 15 weeks or whatever she she gave she she is responsible for them they're good topics but uh yeah she really but, uh tossed us a bone there yeah that was great i don't have to dream up of what i want to talk yeah. about each week and, and also plug i mean if anyone uh any listener now has a uh has a suggestion you want to have something you want us to to hear us talk about or you essentially if you have something you want colby to research and me to listen to uh Feel free, shoot us an email like at piouspig at gmail.com. Like, hey, y'all should do this, uh, and we'll uh, we'll put it into the old rotation. Certainly. It's not, Certainly. not like we're necessarily hurting for content with the, the Catholic Church generally, <laughs> but our issue we run into is, hey, we're both we're both cradle Catholics from Mississippi, which is kind of the, the gist of this entire <laughs> podcast. And like we all we don't know what we don't know. So yeah, shoot shoot us that email. Certainly. Well, Davis, what you been up to the last week or so? Last week or so, um, playing golf badly, uh, you know, work, and nice. I, I, you know, general lazing about the house. I'm trying to see where you're leading into this. I was just curious. Do you have you been following any news over the last week? None that I can immediately draw to mind that isn't specifically soccer related, and I know no one wants to go <laughs> oh. into a very niche. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the stuff about uh, a spend, West London soccer club. Spend 50 minutes talking about Chelsea soccer. and But, hey, Jesus is cool. Anyway, what's your saint, Davis? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Start talking about Todd Bowley and uh, and then the recent takeover and uh, management change at our favorite football club. So where, where are you going with this, Cole? Well, I will, I will uh, stick on in that part of the world as well. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but England has a, or had a queen, and now they have a king. Oh, okay. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> the the queen uh, has passed away, and now there's a king of England. Mm-hmm. And uh, that got me, after seeing all the, the pomp and circumstance and the tradition and, and everything that they do as far as the transfer of, of, well, I guess, do you still call it the transfer of power? I don't know what power they necessarily have still that's I don't I mean, really... it's definitely transfer of wealth like transfer of wealth for sure <laughs> definitely some, really... some asset transfers happening like they give them the secret codes like look if you need to take back the government here's how you do it or something like that yeah or just here here's just the code to the diamonds like for the little <laughs> glass case that's all you get and, and then you get keys to all the all the various uh estates 
around uh, around uh, I guess the UK as a whole. Hell, where Balmoral is that where I think that's where she died. <laughs> uh, it's in Scotland, and it's on like oh god, hold on, I'm gonna mess this up. No, it was uh, like. I want to say it was like 500 square miles. No, not 500 square miles. It was like 50 square miles is the estate. I knew I was getting a zero wrong. But yeah, no, it's just it's just one of their many estates. It's I, it's gigantic. I did see people complaining that there's no uh, inheritance tax for the royal family, which makes yeah. sense. You don't want to like destroy it unless you do want to destroy it. But, yeah. uh, but if you just divide the estate, because it's not like they're... Well, working necessarily well yeah no um it's actually kind of interesting i think and and don't quote me I, but i believe i read this several times um but like yeah they don't pay taxes but actually the monarchy is like a net benefit uh because essentially the uh the government while they might own some things they might own some of them personally like mm-hmm. some of the estates and houses what have you um a lot of them are like either deeded or Whatever. Essentially, the the British government gets the revenue from them mm. to an extent. Someone's and, paying rent. Yeah, kinda, kinda. Okay. Yeah, no. But they they get the any revenue generated by the estates um, in exchange for like essentially funding the monarchy's lifestyle. Um, but they still come out on top. Nice. Like, and so in exchange, you know, they get a figurehead, and you know, the 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 cultural aspects of it still come out on top, like net on money and and yeah that's why i wanted to ask you about that particularly because i knew somewhere in your head was some useless knowledge about the royal family and the monarchy and in england yeah of course like it's the whole bit is that i have just random knowledge and i am i was actually a little bit off it's palmoral estate where the the queen elizabeth ii just died is uh fifty thousand acres uh which I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but that's about 100 square miles, I think. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, and by that's the whole bit, you mean your entire life, right? Just accumulating useless knowledge? Yes, my life is a bit. Thank you very much. I'm very confident. Thanks. That, really, that, really just, real, uh, real <laughs> boost to the ego there. Paul. I saw you getting a little too excited. I wanted to bring you down a little bit. Honestly, nice I, pro- even I probably keel. need that. I'm very glad <laughs> that I have you as a friend to do that for me. Oh, well... All of this uh, this monarchy talk got me thinking about uh, how the church is set up and the hierarchy of the church because technically we're a we're a monarchy as well as far as uh, as far as the church hierarchy goes. We have a king, the king has governors, mm-hmm. and there are uh, what's called princes of the church. So uh, I thought we would dive into that a little bit today. I'm, I'm about it. Let's go. I'm very curious about the Prince of the Church because I have not heard that. Is that an official title? It is a... Yes. I, I believe it's official title, but it's like the colloquial title or something like that. It's not like used in masses or anything, but we'll we'll work our way down. Let's start with the king. Hear Who, ye, hear ye. Hear ye. Long live the king. The king of the church is the pope. Yeah, and, and and again, when we say church here, we are talking about capital C, the Catholic, Catholic Church. church. Yeah. yeah, Catholic Church. There's uh, only one. There's only one pope at the top of the hierarchy right now. His name is Pope Currently. Francis. Currently. Currently, Davis will definitely do a deep dive on like 
we're, we're definitely going to have a history episode here soon. You of anti popes. One of these. Di- oh yeah, anti popes. Because there have been several times throughout history where like multiple popes is, have existed at the same time, and that's obviously well, caused some issues. Well, even now there there are technically multiple multiple popes, but there's only one real pope. Mm-hmm. There are anti popes. Pope Again, Michael Vatican. of Kansas just died, actually. Oh what? Oh what? Wait, is that oh, the guy that ran for president? No, no, this is a different guy. This is uh, Pope Michael uh, was in Kansas and had a. Uh, he basically was like, "We haven't had a real pope in thirty years. Let me call all these other people who've broken away from the church and let them have a vote." Nobody showed up, and he goes, "Well, guess I'll be pope." They have a big following. This Saint Mike. Or I think he Mike. had like he had like thirty people. I, I live streamed his his funeral was live streamed and there's at least eighteen people in the funeral. So respectable, <laughs> yeah, not bad. So, uh, but there's one pope at the top of the hierarchy. His name's Pope Francis. His name before he became pope was Jorge Bergoglio. So they change names whenever they become pope. Uh, he is originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina. And he is the first pope from the Southern Hemisphere and the first non-European pope since Gregory the Third in the 8th century, who was from Syria. My God. Oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't realize that. So, so literally, he is the first pope in, in over 1,300 years to not, not be from Europe? Not from Europe, correct. Damn. Yeah. Big, big win for him. <laughs> big, big win for the the South as a whole. From Southern downtown. Hemisphere. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and also to clarify, I mean, yeah, no, uh, the the Pope the the name change isn't necessarily like automatic. They actually they choose that, correct? Right. Like, they choose yeah. that name. So the, the Pope elect gets to choose what they are called. Right. So so the Pope before Pope Francis, he was Pope Benedict XVI. So he's the 16th of all the Benedicts. He's actually still alive, uh, but he uh, abdicated the chair of, of Peter in which 2013. The, which is the first time that has happened since the Ooh, I 12... I think it's the 1200s. Um, but it, it's been a minute. There's only been like three, and two of them were under threat of death. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was one of the... Yeah, it was back back then. But... Uh, but yeah, well, the, I think I, I think I mentioned that in a previous episode that like technically Vatican City has like 1.5 popes per square mile. Yeah. Or or, yeah. No, or like 2.5 popes per square mile because it's, <laughs> it's under a mile a square mile and there's two popes happen to be there. Yeah. So Pope Pope Benedict he's still alive and kicking. 2013 when he retired what nine years ago, everybody's like, well his health must be getting bad. He he might be. Nope. He just wanted to kind of. He just wanted he was, to read. He was tired. He Pope Benedict is a uh, a huge nerd and intellectual. He He's loves a to write. Yes, that's that's the proper term for it. His he if you re- read some of his writings, you need somebody else that's smarter than you to kind of explain them to them because it is so uh, deep and intelligent. And but whenever you do get it, kind of sunk in with what he writes is just so beautiful and intelligent and you're like ah this guy would make a good pope well anyway he decided uh to call it quits in 2013 and and pope francis was elected before benedict was pope john paul ii saint before saint saint pope john paul ii yeah before him was saint john paul uh 
No, I don't know if he's saint yet. But John Paul I, I think he only lived for like 33 days, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why John Paul II chose that name. Uh, he wound up reigning for like 30 years or something like that. So <laughs> I, I, <laughs> he I didn't mean, even choose use the word reigning. Well, he did. He was the the the, the, the king, pope. king of the church. King of the church. KOC. Uh, and. <laughs> And uh, before that, I believe it was John the 23rd. Anyway, point is, they choose their own name, and there's been a lot of Johns. There's been a, two John Pauls, 16 Benedicts. Francis, he's the first Francis. <laughs> first mm. one to go with Pope Francis. Yeah, a lot of Pauls, a lot of, a lot of Piuses. A lot of Piuses. Urbans, there's mm-hmm. Urbans. Mm-hmm. Benedicts, yeah. yeah. So there have been 266 Popes in total, starting from St. Peter the Apostle, then moving to St. Linus, Cletus and Clement, all the way to John Paul II, Benedict Francis. There was Pope Cletus. Cletus was the third pope. He was the first pope from Alabama. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's my one dig. So the the pope denotes when we say the pope, he's the bishop of Rome. He is the chief pastor of the entire church, and he is the successor to Saint uh, to Saint Peter. He is also referred to as the Vicar of Christ. A lot of people are wondering, okay, why the heck is the Pope in Rome if Jesus of Nazareth was crucified in Jerusalem, born in Bethlehem? Why on earth is he in Rome? So the the chair of St. Peter, as that office is referred to, uh, resides in Rome because Rome is where St. Peter was crucified upside down. That's where he was having his ministry and martyred for the faith. And it's not really about the location as much as it is about who the figure is. I mean, so it's pro- kind of about the location. I mean, the, the center spire of the dome of St. Peter's Basilica is directly over his tomb. Like, Right, but if he, if he had decided to take up uh, his ministry in Antioch or uh, Jerusalem and had his body buried there in the spire, that's where it would have set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it Rome is where St. Peter decided to go uh, be the bishop and take his office. Part of that was because that was the center of the world. It was the Roman Empire. That's where he needed to be. Literally uh, the dead middle of like what was known as the world at the time. Yeah. Like Right there, so, smack dab in the middle of Italy, which is smack dab in the middle of the Mediterranean. Right. So whenever he, uh, whenever he was crucified and died, he was still active in his ministry. He was still the active bishop of Rome, uh, but it left open that office. It left open that seat, and somebody needed to take up the torch after that, and that was Pope Linus. So he took up the office as bishop of Rome, and then Cletus did, and then Clement did, and it was just succession after that. Mm-hmm. Now, quick, quick quiz, Colby. Uh, where is the Pope's uh, like home church? I forget the exact word. His home church is St. John Lateran. Damn. Okay, you got me there. Yeah, so you and I went to Rome together. We both saw we we both got that piece of trivia when we got there. Oh yeah, well there's trivia for the listeners. Yeah, no. It's uh most people would say immediately St. Peter's Basilica cuz it's where, you know, where his apartment is and and what have you. But no, it's actually St. John Lateran. It's uh, a different basilica like within Rome. Right. Like, so whenever and it's when not I, even in Vatican City. No, it's not in Vatican City. It, when you're thinking about, you know, what is the main church for the entire 
Catholic world, you're going to think of St. Peter. But he is still also the bishop of Rome, and we'll talk about what bishops are here in a minute. So his the seat in which he has a, the cathedra, which is the seat, the chair that he sits in, hmm. in the cathedral is St. John Lateran. So he is still has to have that office as Bishop of Rome. It's not enough to just take care of the entire church. You also have to take care of your diocese as well as the bishop. Just, you know, the responsibilities of leadership. You know, yes. st- should stick with middle management. It's a lot easier. <laughs> there, there have been disputes in the past that because Peter was the first bishop in Jerusalem and then he was a bishop in Antioch, that those places should be where the Vatican rests. But because Peter was still active in his office in Rome, that's where he ended up. That's where it wound up being. There were 67 years where the Pope was not in Rome. And Davis, do you know where that Pope was? Oviedo, Italy. Huh? Oviedo, Italy. Or, or is it France? It is France. Do you know where specifically? Uh, dude, I can't speak. Uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, you know, Marseille? Yeah, that's, that's close. Marseille? No, Avignon is the, it was Ah. the, Avignon, France was where it was for 67 years and it was restored to Rome in the early 1400s, but Mm -hmm. that's a whole other rabbit hole that we don't have time for today. We'll do a podcast on that too. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what made Peter's chair so important? What made this office so important? It was like a really, really comfy chair. Yes, it was. uh, Everybody else was sitting on rocks and he had wood. Right. He even had a cushion on it. Ooh. I know. The may, the reason why that is such an important office is because Jesus handed the keys of the kingdom of heaven to St. Peter to take care of his church when he's not here. And that's in Matthew 16. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The authority has been given to St. Peter at that point. We later see St. Peter call a council to ordain someone to take Judas's place through the laying on hands. Uh, that's something that all of the apostles who were the first bishops came through and they laid on hands and they said, we need to uh, replace Judas because we still need that office that Judas left vacant filled. Imagine uh, being that first like call up to that spot. Like be like, I promise I'm better than the last guy. Like, <laughs> like the bars on the floor. Right. <laughs> right. So, so, that's one cool thing that you can do if you're a bishop is you can trace your lineage back to the apostles. Hmm. So the, those apostles laid hands on the bishops and consecrated bishops then. Those bishops consecrated other bishops Those and so on until you come to today. And I think there's a website. I'll have to look it up. But there's a website where you can say, hey, here's this bishop. Show me his lineage and it will go back to the apostles. I, I know I've mentioned this in another podcast, but it's very similar to like like in martial arts and the, the, the pedigree of like yeah. training. Cause that's a common thing. Like, okay, I was trained by him. Who's trained by him. Who's trained by him who trained under like Hoist Gracie. Like that, that's a, it's very interesting how that translates to like, I guess other disciplines and literally religion. Yeah. Well, for, for the Catholic church too, you know, there are bishops that were spread out they laid a hands and replaced that office, but they didn't all stick around in Jerusalem. They spread out. Some were in Corinth. Some went to India. There, I mean, they went all Antioch. over the world. Yeah. Right. Uh, one thing that people are always like, uh, well, I guess it's more of the, the orthodox idea is that, okay, all these bishops were independent and were the most important leaders for that uh, 
land, that area that they settled in. One thing that the early church did that we also look back toward uh, to say, hey, no, the Pope was the supreme leader of the church, was that there was a uh, around 80 AD, so 80, 50 years after Christ died and resurrected and ascended into heaven, there was disputes that needed to be settled uh, in oh shoot, uh, Corinth, Corinth, yeah, in Corinth. Uh, and they yeah, went. And to, we remember where's Corinth, Cole? Corinth is in oh, uh, Greece. Please say with that with some confidence. Yes, it's in Greece. It's in Greece, right across the Mediterranean. Uh, and they traveled to Rome to speak with Pope Saint Clement the First. What makes that so significant is that the Apostle John was still living and presumably in Ephesus, which is about 800 miles closer to Corinth than Rome. So they could have gone straight to the apostle that was still mm-hmm. alive and the bishop that was, you know, Apostle John. Uh, but they, they traveled all the way to Rome because that's where the chair of St. Peter was. That was where the Pope could make the... Talk about a know, snub. Seriously, man. But they understood then at the early church, hey, what's the importance of this office? Yeah, St. John being like, they did what? <laughs> St. John probably tired. He's just like, oh. Everybody else got to be martyred, and I'm still here. Why am I still alive? God. 50 years later. (laughs) Kill me! Someone, please! So the Pope Pope is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the the unity of the bishops and the whole church uh, together. He has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church. He can exercise that power unhindered. And all of the bishops combined, put together, they have no authority unless they are united with the Pope. So the College of Bishops have the power over the Universal Church as a as a ecumenical council when they come together. De- define they, ecumenical council real quick. A council in which everyone comes together from all walks of life, all bishops coming together. Yeah, I'm pretty it's, sure it's all bishops and not all walks of life. If my redneck ass just walked up in there, they'd be having some questions. There's a lot difference in in a po- uh, bishop from Houston, Texas, and one from uh, the the Philippines or something like that. Well, yeah, that one from Houston keeps that thing on him. But the the they don't. There's not even a council. You can't call uh, have a council unless it's confirmed or at least recognized by the Pope. The Pope has to sign off on everything. He is uh, he can has the full power. I hope he's got a secretary or something. Like, just delegate some of that authority. Well, that's a. I agree, and that's why he has the cardinals. There or we the, are. The God. princes of the church. Man, we're good. Oh. What a segue, man. Oh. I, th- I think we're really hitting our stride here, folks. Like, <laughs> okay, so the cardinals are the pope's counselors. Uh, the current regulations state that a cardinal has to be a bishop unless the pope gives dispensation to that rule. So technically it's possible for any old priest or even a layman, so somebody who's not ordained, to become a cardinal. cardinal the last pig. time the last time that happened though was guess a year. Last time we had a layman. No, I'm beat. not going to guess a year. Guess a year. 2000 of them. Like in pick one. What's your favorite? 34. Okay, not 34. It's 1876. All right. Which Actually, fair- a lot more recent than I thought. I mean, right. America had been around for a hundred years at that point. Yeah. So they they that was the last time there was a layman that was uh was a cardinal. 
Huh. Mm-hmm. Was that so? They just picked them out of the a, a hat, or like what? I mean, was it like someone involved in the church, or were they like, oh, he's done a lot of good deeds. He just happens to farm like corn. Um, there, obviously, a lot of politics went into that as well. Yeah, yeah. Watch, yeah. watch, uh, watch a Dan um, a movie based on a Dan Brown book one time. I think I I know I read the story, but I didn't write it down, and I can't remember it because it wasn't fully interesting but the i think it was hey this guy is wealthy he also has a lot of influence over the people and they respect him so let's make him a cardinal so he you know, oh lockstep so like how like how the borgias and uh yeah how the borgias became uh bishops and cardinals and eventually popes right gotcha i think this particular one the 18 guy in 1876 i think he was a good guy for all accounts just good guy. Um, good guy. <laughs> Worked out. Uh, they they help the Pope govern the church, the cardinals do. Uh, these are also the people that elect the next Pope. There is one cardinal right now named Father Henry de Lubach, who is not a bishop, he's just a priest. Uh, and they, uh, so, so it is possible to do if the, the Pope gives dispensation and says, actually that guy's cool, let him be a cardinal. Uh, so they are referred to as the princes of the church, but as far as the intrinsic duties that come with being a cardinal, pretty much electing the next pope is it. Uh, and if you're over 80, you're not even allowed to vote for the pope, so it just becomes a title. Really? Yep. Had to be under 80 years old. The to Catholic elect Church has term limits. Term limits for you still get to be a cardinal. You just don't get to you don't get to vote. Yeah. Well. I, Sorry, bro. Man, they. You know, it's kind of odd to say in the same sentence, you know, just just generally. Uh, but, man, that, that that's pretty progressive of the church with election <laughs> reform. Like, that's why you can't uh, you can't pigeonhole the church as the conservative or the progressive or anything. They just, they're just Catholic. Oh, yeah. One of these days we'll go into uh, the Catholic church and science and, like, how it pioneered most of it and how, how, like, the Big Bang has been a part of, like, Catholic doctrine since it was literally thought up of by a catholic monk <laughs> when i think of when i think of catholic inventions i think of the big bane i think of pretzels and i think of bowling mm-hmm. that's what we're known for yeah literally i mean no, another fun fact is a fun fact episode yeah that like aliens <laughs> are, like the existence of aliens is actually like part of catholic dogma <laughs> oh that'll be a good one to go into mm-hmm. there's some uh and before we go down that rabbit hole uh there's so, so you're not allowed to vote over if you're over 80. There's also supposed to be, based on canon law, there's supposed to be a maximum of 120 cardinal electors. But there are currently 131 because last month Pope Francis elevated 16 more electors. There's also no provision in oh, he's, case... He's, pa- he's packing the court. He's packing the court. There are some uh, church, big church names that are like... He's just trying to make sure there's another pope that thinks the way he does and all this. And I'm just like, do you trust the Holy Spirit or not? Just, it, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, there's more electors than there's supposed to be. And there's also no provisions on like, what do we do if there's too many electors that I'm sure they'll figure something out. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, they're kind of limited by like the capacity of the Sistine Chapel, right? Like, how many old men can we stuff into this one little room? All right, everybody under 80, come on. 
And if you can't walk into it, then that's tough luck. Oh, that's another thing. How many walkers are standing by the door <laughs> of the system? Probably not Chapel? as many because there are 80. I mean, 80 is the cutoff. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So Cardinals, they wear red, and their title is Your Eminence. They also, when they're, uh, whenever they have their title, like most, like if you see a bishop, you say, or Pope, Pope Francis, uh, Bishop John Doe or whatever, they place the title Cardinal after your first name and before your surname. So there's Robert Cardinal Sarah or Timothy Cardinal Dolan. Don't ask me why. That's just how it is. (laughs) But I thought that was interesting. That's pretty good. The Cardinals don't have, uh, they don't have necessarily power in the hierarchy, but they are, you know, the ones who elect the Pope and, and princes of the church. And they're basically the delegates of the Pope, and he directs them where they want them to go. The next, uh, the next step down the line is you have uh, archbishops. Archbishops oversee so the the church is the church as a whole and that's what the pope presides over the church is broken down instead of uh like countries and stuff like that we have archdioceses we have a first we have ecclesia uh, ecclesiastical provinces in those ecclesiastical provinces there are uh archdioceses archdiocesan i don't know what the plural of an archdiocese Mm -hmm. is but whatever that is uh, the jurisdiction of an archbishop oversees his own diocese as well as the ecclesiastical province that encompasses the dioceses in their province. That's a tongue twister. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, the archdiocese of Mobile contains the diocese of Jackson, Mississippi, and the diocese of Birmingham, Alabama, and Biloxi, mm-hmm. Mississippi. Those are all part of one archdiocese. And the uh, diocese of Orlando covers the moon. That does it does cover the moon. Oh, oh. That, that's just spitting the random facts today, dude. I'm doing well. Like so, yeah. Hey, fun fact for everyone out there. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> the Catholic diocese of Orlando, Florida. Uh, the archbishop of that is actually the uh, the bishop of the moon because it is. I believe it's the. Anything like new discovered within that? Well, I mean, that's where uh, Cape Canaveral is, and that's where the moon landing launched from. And therefore, uh, Bishop John Noon- John Noonan is the bishop of the moon. Bishop of the moon. Yeah, yeah it's the uh, old Voyager laws in the church. If you found a new world place from Portugal, that was diocese of yep. whatever bishop it started from. It's the so. 1917 Code of Canon Law says when the yeah. expedition sets out to discover new territory. That new land then becomes a part of the diocese that was home to the expedition. So. Yes. <laughs> so, so the, uh, like Orlando's part of a larger archdiocese as well. I think theirs is Miami. So the archdiocese would be Miami, but Orlando diocese of Orlando is part of the archdiocese. Right, right. Um, like Knoxville, Tennessee, their diocese is part of the archdiocese of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so they're they're larger areas. Now, uh, the power... They, they, the, are, they are the state. The archdiocese would be the state, and then, like, not actually bounded, but, for example, it's right. a state where a diocese would be, like, say, a, 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 a county. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, the jurisdiction of... Uh, the power of the archbishop holds over those dioceses 
the other ones that are not his own, so like the Archbishop of Mobile, the power he holds over the Diocese of Jackson or the Diocese of Biloxi, is pretty limited. Unless there is a restriction clearly stated by canon law, a dispute will always go in favor of the bishop of that diocese rather than the archbishop of the province. Interesting. Yeah. So the, there was a, the, time, the time when an archbishop would be supreme is if a bishop was completely subverting the laws of the church. Um, you know, they were doing something that was completely heretical and they could come in, but it's not even them exercising their power as the archbishop is just being like, hey, canon law says this is wrong. I'm going to start leading your flock because you're not doing your duties. Uh, used to, they have had a lot more power and uh, they could even remove bishops and stick someone else in that seat. Uh, those days are no more. The, the Pope has kind of claimed all of that power, especially as the world's gotten smaller, communication's gotten easier. Um, yeah, and I mean, also kind of cuts out a good amount of corruption, I'd imagine. Right. Yeah. Right. That's exactly why they, they cut that out, too. Mm -hmm. uh, what they can do is they can force an assembly of all the bishops in their province once every three years. They can call for diocesan synods, which is a gathering of all the priests in a uh, diocese. Uh, they can, and they can main, maintain the diocesan seminary. But when the bishops do come together and they call that meeting every three years, their voice doesn't hold any more weight than another bishop present. He can't censure. Pretty much all he can do is report to Rome, hey, this guy's going a little crazy or something like that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And also the plural of diocese is dioceses. Okay. Well, yeah, which sounds super dumb. I hate that word. Yeah. <laughs> um. So let's see. Archbishops, he can... He can gain direct jurisdiction over the, the subjects, being the people in the diocese, by appeal, by devolution, meaning the powers were transferred to him, and by canonical visitation. So he is, uh, under the law, visiting the diocese. He can do that. But an archbishop can't even visit one of their other bishops' territories without approval by the provincial council meaning the other bishops. So they can't oh, even they can't by law. Like, they can't travel at all? Like, can't or they can't travel they, on official business? Because your, your role as an archbishop isn't necessarily a job, it is who you are, you can't travel at all. Now, if you said, hey... God uh, forbid you have to make, like, a... Uh, like, God forbid you have to fly from, like, Florida to... Florida to uh, California or something. You got to call like twelve. And be like, hey, well, those, good with those me bishops this plane flight. It's Delta. Uh, those bishops wouldn't be in the archdiocese, so it'd be like the Archbishop Mobile. He can travel to Kentucky mm -hmm. because that's not in his archdiocese. How many archdioceses are in uh, America? Ooh, I have no idea. Ah, uh, well, I'll I'll be the Google boy. I'm this, gonna guess. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I'm gonna guess somewhere around seventeen dioceses, uh, archdioceses. Yeah. Okay. You Google. Well, okay. Yeah. No. I'm. I. I definitely didn't Google this well, but I, I'll get back to you with that here in a moment. Good deal. Well, so he he can't. Um, from what I can tell, he cannot travel to another bishop's territory without approval from the council. 
He can also pick up those powers if a bishop is neglecting his duty by leaving a parish vacant too long or not granting absolution for someone who's excommunicated. Because if you're excommunicated, the way you come back into communion with the church is by getting the bishop to absolve you of that. Uh, so if you're a bishop and you excommunicate somebody and say, here's the conditions you need to do, you need to go to confession, you need to make a public apology, and they do all those conditions you set, but you still don't absolve them, that's when the archbishop can step in and do that as well. So uh, the other thing they can do is if a bishop dies and his seat is vacant for eight days and the cathedral hasn't elected somebody to be the uh, administrator, then the archbishop will appoint the person himself. In the U.S., the archbishop automatically appoints an administrator until Rome gives them instructions. So, you know, that, it's not a whole lot of power being the archbishop. Mm-hmm. And uh, update on that. So what, what was your guess? 17 archdioceses. Okay, well, I had to sit there and count on Wikipedia because there wasn't a quick answer, but uh, I'm at 32. Ooh, okay, that's a lot more than I thought they'd be. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, I mean, then the, I mean, the, uh, the analogy for the states versus counties kind of holds to an extent. I mean, yeah, close to the fifty states, but I mean, there's a lot fewer dioceses uh, from the archdiocese. Yeah, because yeah, no, typically they're they're built out by how many people live in them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Do that, does so, that change, like as populations shift? It, if it's drastic, yes. So Mississippi used to be one diocese mm-hmm. in itself. It was the Diocese of Natchez. Uh, but because so many Catholics moved to the coast, it split. I couldn't tell you what year. It might be 1867. I mean, a while back. And they split into the Diocese of Jackson, the Diocese of Biloxi. So they do split. Um And I'm sure there's all sorts of processes for how that happens. And, you know. Yeah, certainly. Uh-huh. Uh, so the archbishop is referred to as his grace or most reverend. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be calling him your <laughs> grace. Uh, I think I gained that right uh, back in 1776. <laughs> uh, won't be calling anybody your eminence. Yeah. So below that, you got the bishops. The bishops are have a diocese, and like we said, they really are the, the supreme you know, leaders of that diocese. The archbishop mm-hmm. doesn't overrule them or direct them or anything. They're they're sovereign. Which uh, is they, interesting. There's such a lack of power, like, within the top two tier. I mean, the second and third tiers of the Catholic Church. That's something I wasn't right. aware of. That like, Well, and the other thing is, too, the archbishops and the cardinals, because the cardinals are typically bishops, and the archbishops, by their nature, are still bishops, they still have their diocese. So it really, it really in practicality is Pope bishops. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works out. Interesting. Uh, and the Pope just uses cardinals. He also has different, there's a bunch of different little titles. Like there's a papal nuncio. Don't ask me what it means, but I know there's a guy who is the papal nuncio to the United States. And he is the, the, main advisor for things for the United States. So if there needs to be a bishop or something like that, he's the one who goes and does the research to figure out, mm-hmm. hey, Pope, you should install this guy. He's a diplomat. Right. He's a, So there's all sorts of different papal offices that help him delegate his power, but the Pope has ultimate authority over those. Yeah, and, so, and actually I think one of my 
one of my uh, professors in law school actually might be one of those. I know they're representative, like there was a couple of them that were representatives to the Holy See, to the UN. Yeah. I don't know, yeah, if, he was a, I don't know if he was a nuncio. I hadn't seen his resume. Uh, I think but, the nuncios are priests, but there are council, like there's councils of lay people too that do different stuff for the the Pope and get all his stuff done and whatever it needs to happen. So yeah. anyway, that that's just how it is so really in practicality there are the pope and then the bishops mm -hmm. that that got that um so then the bishops what are their roles they have three primary roles one is to teach two is to govern three is to sanctify so to teach comes in forms of homilies or uh, you know that he does at the cathedrals or proclamations or letters to individual churches in his diocese the reason that we have it set up that way and that we don't have a bishop that's just the Pope is over the whole world and talks about those big ticket items, the bishop really knows his local church. Yeah. So it would be weird if the church in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, was talking about the royal family and what it means to be a good British citizen. Yeah. I know there's sometime, there's there's a point here sometime in this podcast that I missed a good states' rights joke. <laughs> but it's kind of, but it's kind of similar. That I mean, there. it's lo it's local control um, because right. they're from it. They got their boots on the ground, and they they kind of get a, have a feel for their constituents more than right. uh, say the Pope does. Right, and that that is used to because when communication was not great, each diocese and each bishop had their own catechism. Mm -hmm. That they wrote. Yeah, and we talked about that on our our or our catechism heavy episode. Uh, on that. Yeah. So, so that, uh, they know what's going on a lot more. Same thing, it'd be weird if the Bishop of Westminster, England, came and was like, here's how you need to treat your neighbors who might not have water because of some crisis in your city or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, they take care of their local church. They you know don't know me? <laughs> there are, uh you know, different sins that might infect a specific diocese more than another. Um, you know, in, in the African dioceses, they're not really working worried about sexual promiscuity as much as maybe in the American churches, but they might be worried about greed or something like that. It just depends on whatever uh, is infecting the church there and whatever needs to be amplified as well. Mm -hmm. They are... Uh, they are... So first, they're teachers. Second, they're governors. To govern means that they have to make decisions such as finances, the liturgy, uh, organization of the chancery office, whether a parish needs to be opened or closed, stuff like that. The allocation so, of the priests within. Right. Yeah. So the, these are the kind of decisions that are the ones that make everybody always hate the bishops. Uh -huh. Because if you tell a little lady, hey... Your parish just can't afford to stay open anymore. I got to close it. You need to start going to St. Catherine's down the street. They don't like you for that. Uh, if you have the chancery office set up a certain way and they have a personal vendetta again, you know, and also for valid reasons too of, yeah. hey, you really botched this decision because you're not a good administrator. That's, you know, completely valid. But those are the things, the decisions the bishop has to make that makes people not like their bishop like they like their priest. Yeah, and I feel like I don't have a lot of interjections here because it seems like the, um, I mean, the, the analogies kind of draw themselves. I mean, this is very, it's very political, like, it's, it's very similar to political subdivisions. Like, 
you know, at a certain point, like, okay, <laughs> any decision you make, it's going to please some people, but upset others, uh, especially when it's like stuff that's very localized and what people care about. Right. And there's also going to be disputes between bishops of like, ugh, you shouldn't have done it that way. You should have done it this yeah. way or something like that. You shouldn't have taken Delta on that flight. Right. Oh, you should. <laughs> oh wait, so, no, that's so archbishops. The, I, I'm killing this. <laughs> so the uh, and the thing that that's a hard part that people Catholics have trouble accepting is: Do I have to be subject to this bishop? And uh, the answer is yes. If you live in their diocese, you're you are one of their subjects. Their jobs are to govern you and to to teach you and to sanctify you. You got to remember too. You can't write off the church just because there's one bad bishop or multiple bad bishops. Because if you think about it, in the very beginning of the church, one in twelve, bad news. Yeah, about eight percent. Terrible bishop. Yeah. So I mean, is eight percent the the? Uh, is that I, the percentage I, that uh, is like justified? All right. We're, the eight percent would be a great one if if that's accurate. Uh, my. You could also think of it of, hey, when the church started, there was only 11 really good bishops, and today there's probably only 11 really good bishops. So if you're a pessimist or an optimist, whichever Doesn't scale you, with time. It's, it's not an exact scale either way. So uh, now, and, so, and, and it definitely, I mean, again, back to the political side, but like the, but I guess I'm kind of leading up to a question, but um, it's especially weird to the American uh psyche because like like okay a leader we don't like that leader they got i mean they're gonna be out when their term's up and we can vote in a new one what is the process for like so i mean say there's a legitimate complaint like hey this guy this bishop is terrible uh we don't want him here how do you is there a process for say the layman to go about make like starting that change yes yeah, so so the way they would do that first thing you want to do is talk to your own bishop and let me tell you bishops are very accessible People always think, oh, there's no way I could talk to my bishop. No, you absolutely could call the chancery office, say, hey, I, I'm having some troubles with, you know, some things happening. I need to talk to my bishop or at least write him a letter. This is you also hear... from Colby, who has talked to the bishop like all the time. I wouldn't be shocked if you just had a cell number in your phone. But Well, I, I was talking to somebody else who, who uh, like, sh she's a younger person, but she was like, I really need to get the bishop on board with this special project or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Uh, and some, uh, there was a little old lady, bless her heart, was at our at the church. Was like, well, how do you know the bishop? Are you gonna do? It? And she goes, I'm just gonna call the office and see if we'll take a meeting. And she he, she called him, and they said, yeah, come in tomorrow. And and everybody was shocked and was like, it's not that hard to get up with your bishop. Huh. Uh, but writing letters, they read all their letters and respond to them. Uh, so you can write them a letter. If nothing changes and something really heretical and terrible is happening, that's when you appeal to the archbishop. Yeah. And that's when they can start doing a process of, let me call this bishop, see what's up. And, and if things are real bad, they'll call the pope and say, hey, pope, will you take care of this? Because yeah. this is a big problem. In, in American law, this is uh, it, it's a process known as uh, you have to exhaust your administrative remedies. Like right. before you can like get to the tippy top, it's like you got to show that you actually did the groundwork. Hey, you tried to solve this at lower levels and nothing happened there. Therefore, I got to go to the top dog. Right. And the, the archbishops have and the bishops themselves too have means of getting up with the pope if they need to. 
So. Oh yeah, they have the, they have a special walkie-talkie. They got a uh, they got a red telephone there in the corner <laughs> yes, of the a office. Red, tele- yeah, yeah. red telephone if it starts blinking. Uh-huh. Um, but the thing about bishops too is if you have to bring the pope in to solve your problem, that kind of hurts in the hey, I'm the sovereign of this thing. So they try to avoid it if they can. So it works out natural causes on on making sure that uh, you don't continue that cycle. Can you think of so an you, example where the Pope comes down? Like, like just for a frame of reference, like what is something that would justify s- that? So there, there is currently something called the, uh, it's called the Synod of Synods. And it's a, something where they've, the Pope has asked every diocese to have a synod uh, that brings together the lay people and the clergy to kind of collaborate and figure out, hey, how can we you know, bolster the church, what does the diocese need, and, and kind of at an effort to uh, hear what the lay people want to say. Mm-hmm. The the lay people uh, in Germany, there's been a big controversy because the lay people took that as, hey, um, this is our chance to change church doctrine and church teaching. Ah. Yeah, so that they came up, and, and the big things that they were pushing for was, uh, was women priest, which we'll talk about you know, why women aren't priests and stuff on, uh, when we do sacraments. Uh, and the other thing was uh, gay marriage in the church. And those are two teachings you cannot change. They're, uh, yeah, pretty, they're, pretty, founda- pretty foundational within the uh, church doctrine. Right, and you can't change doctrine like that. You can't change what has been true to the church uh, for, you know, centuries. So the Pope did have to, and typically when there is a dispute and there's something big like this, the Pope already knows because the news gets back to him yeah. before a bishop calls. Hey, he's got a Twitter account. He sees what's coming at him. Right. So the Pope, uh, the Pope did get on. On he he actually did it in the form of somebody was interviewing him, and he's like, "Those bishops better get control of their diocese, so I don't have to do anything." Hmm. Uh, and and after he did that, the bishops did step in and be like, "Hey, y'all, we can't change church doctrine and church teaching," which upset all those people that were part of it and they're like, why are we even doing this? And he was like, I don't know. This kind of got away from me. Uh, so, so that, that's like an example of, of what would happen when the Pope would step in and do that. You don't um, want old daddy Francis coming down to your diocese. Right. It'd be- uh, er, earlier in, in Pope Francis tenure, there was also a, again in Germany, <laughs> there was a Bishop that was doing a bunch of financial fraud and had like, several large palaces and houses I think and stuff. I recall that, yeah. Yeah, and he had to step in and be like, hey, we're going to turn you over to the German authorities or you can come get tried in the Vatican uh, and we'll figure out what to do with you there. You know, this isn't good. So he had to step in there as well. And, you know, hopefully those problems don't happen much. The, I only think of those two. I'm sure there's problems in, in like the like the African church. Right now there's... Uh, one diocese where he put a bishop in place that was the wrong ethnicity of the people that was like there's two tribes of interesting ethnic yeah. people that hate each other that live next to each other and you know he's from Argentina he doesn't know the intricacies of yeah, big, racism in Africa <laughs> big, a big swing and a miss uh, yeah so he was one. just like okay what do I do I installed him as bishop and we're you know not supposed to be racist as as Catholics and hot know, take, see, Colby. Yeah, we are not supposed to be racist. 
Right. So so what do I do? I don't want to appear weak and remove him, but I also want these people to get spiritually fed and meet mm-hmm. them where they are. And so that's the kind of stuff where he has to step in. And gotcha. I, I believe a cardinal uh, brought that to his attention as part okay. of his roles as a counselor of the church. So, hmm. you know, you can't keep a secret in the Catholic Church. That's just not how that, that works. It's all going to come to light at some point, whether it's, you know, except 50 years down. Except what's ever in the Vatican archives. True. And you no, can figure it out. I mean, I'm yeah, sure I, mean, I mean, you can Google it a little bit, but like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, we got the official writings of St. Peter. Ain't like I can see them. Right, but and and that's part of the papal privilege, you know. He's the sovereign. If he wants to release those documents, great. If not, you know, whenever he decides to retire and not be pope anymore, maybe the FBI will raid his home in Florida. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> okay. Oh God, I was gonna make a classification joke. You bit, you beat me to it. That's good. good. That's good. Uh, okay, so the to teach, to govern, to sanctify, to sanctify one of the role, the three roles of the bishop. That means to make holy. Uh, he does this by providing the sacraments. He's the one who's he's the the person who's the ordinary, or and whenever they say ordinary, meaning the proper person for this. Mm-hmm. If somebody else was to do it, it'd be the extraordinary. So if you've heard of ordinary the extraordinary, right? It yeah, is the proper. Time. What is proper? Yeah. Uh, you also might hear extraordinary ministers of the Holy Eucharist, you know, that means somebody who's not supposed to necessarily do it is going to be doing it under extraordinary circumstances. So he's the uh, ordinary for the sacrament of confirmation. He's the person who's supposed to confirm you. Um, He must live a prayerful life. That's part of that as well. And he has to tend to the spiritual needs of of his flock. The time when the bishop's going to be at his peak and really be fulfilling that role uh, is when all of the priests and deacons in his diocese come together uh, and offer a mass together. And that's typically the chrism mass, which we'll have to get into a different time, but that's a mass where all the pastors, all the priests in the diocese typically come together and, and have one mass all together. That seems like a uh, cluster. Like... It is very beautiful when they do it. It's pretty cool to see... Is there an altar big enough for all those folks just standing next to each other? Yes. So in in Jackson, and typically your cathedral's built to the size of what is needed for your diocese. Like Jackson only has probably 38 priests, something like that. So it's easy to put 38 guys up on the altar. Uh, When I lived in Denver, that diocese probably had 150 priests, something like that. You can fit them all. Because you're... Again, it's these dioceses are population based. So like Denver's a lot smaller land mass than it is Jackson Diocese. Yeah, so that must have really sucked when Natchez uh they had to downgrade, be like, Well, you know, it's uh it's not as big as it used to be, you're gonna have to find a new place to rent. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh th- that like it didn't your people didn't really shrink compared to whenever it started. You still had the same amount of Catholics in the like if you had two hundred thousand to start your diocese of Natchez, and now two hundred thousand more move to Biloxi, and that part, okay, you still have your two hundred thousand in the north part, and you have two hundred thousand in the bottom is still the same size, you know, spitballing numbers or whatever. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't figure that out uh, without a visual, so we're just gonna walk <laughs> right past that. Okay, 
so we're almost done with the we've got the diocese then we have the dean which i didn't know existed there is a dean who presides over the deanery i already dislike all of this <laughs> the deanery is a it splits the diocese up into different zones the basic thing of, uh, that a dean is supposed to do is to make sure all the priests that are in his zone are taken care of, making sure everything's ship shape from canon law perspective and a regular law perspective. I honestly don't know how much this is used. I've never talked to somebody about being a dean. I don't even know who the dean is for this part of, of our diocese. So I don't know if that's actually used i do know that deaneries are split up so whenever they say hey you're you're going to the fifth deanery or something that is something they use and they have the power to put put churches on extra double secret probation right extra Mm -hmm. double secret until they alert the bishop Mm -hmm. yeah so the uh and then finally you have parishes and priests are the ones who preside over that and so Uh, and parishes are the are the real real are the churches yeah that's that's yeah yeah it's what we the church, you know, but it's the local church. Right. So, so like whatever church you go to, if it's St. Joseph Catholic Church, you are part of St. Joseph Parish. Mm-hmm. They also have like physical boundary lines as well. So typically it's based on whatever city you're in or whatever's the closest church to you that the parish you live in might not necessarily be the parish you go to, um, but that's the one you're you're assigned and supposed to go to. I mean, if you're you're playing it by the book, but if you don't like priest A or whatever, come on over to the next one and, and it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, when when they are but they're responsible. For, they are still responsible for you, the pastors of those parishes, the priests there. You know, of maintaining your spiritual needs. They're just kind of like okay, they're getting spiritually fed at St. John's across the street or something mm-hmm. like that. So they're they're in charge of that. Uh, in the parish, too, they're in charge of uh, whatever hospitals are within their parish boundaries, uh, whatever uh, schools are within their parish boundaries. So if you have a Catholic school, you're the one who's going to be saying mass and taking care of the school and making sure all that's Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that does make sense. And, like, when you say the hospitals, it's for, like, last rites and what have for you. Last like, rites. So, like, you, you know, the hospital calls you, hey, this person's dying, need the last rites. But, like... Man, I would hate to be, you know, the, the the priest in charge of like a place with a level one trauma center. Like, yeah, well, you might, as, like, you might as well have your house there. Like, and depending on depending on how big the hospital is, so like St. Dominic's is the big Catholic hospital in in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, they have somebody who's assigned to folks on staff that hospital. So they have a priest that a his job is to job. be there. You know, it's a calling like everything else. Exorcism, that's a depressing job as well because you see these people who are possessed and it takes a lot of mental energy, but it's a spe- special calling there too. Interesting. Or the bishop really hates you. You know, that's also because we're humans and politics to play in that. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's that's heavy. Like having, yeah. like having someone dedicated, I mean, that, that's your job is to talk to people at their last. Like, yeah. whoo. So the priest's job is to make sure your flock that's within your parish is spiritually fed, meaning giving them the sacraments, taking care of their spiritual needs. Uh, The biggest thing it all centers around is the Eucharist, making sure there's Mass on Sunday. So if they do that, they've they've done the bare minimum of what they need to do to make sure that you have Mass on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And they don't get a call up the chain to the Pope. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Well, 
I believe it is my time. And, uh, Colby, I, I mean, I want to make the point here that, like, call it serendipity, call it the Lord's will. Um, our topics keep intersecting. Uh, and we, d- we don't discuss what we're talking about yeah, before now. Yeah, so the, ho- the whole point of this is that I come into this fresh, uh, like, so, so, Col- so Colby and everyone else can get, like, my live reactions and, like, you know, I can really speak from a place of ignorance. Um, so we don't talk about this beforehand or our topics. But nope. Man, it just keeps coinciding because you mentioned Antioch earlier. So today we are going to talk about St. Ignatius, not of Loyola, which is like you, what you've heard of. We're talking about St. Ignatius of Antioch. Okay. Have you heard of him? I have. Okay. Dang. I, I think I'm like... I one, don't know much about him, though. I'm like is he one the one who started the Jesuits? Not that I know of. Uh, okay. So That's probably in Loyola then. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think that is uh, St. Ignatius Loyola because that's the university is named after him in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, so that's what most everyone is familiar with, but uh, we're going to talk about St. Ignatius of Antioch. So Antioch, uh, if y'all don't know, ancient city, uh, biblical times. Uh, is it, oh, let me guess. Greece. Turkey. Oh, On the southern end of Turkey... And kind of into Syria, uh, it's right on that edge, on that uh, that southern border. It's it's like all the way on the end of Turkey. So he's really w- not well known as a patron saint of of much of anything. So it's a little bit off the beaten path. But I I'd mentioned before I'm I'm gonna do martyrs as well because there there's some interesting stories, especially in the early ends of the church. So he's really not a patron saint of much of anything, but he is a well known martyr with a really interesting story. Um, so we really have no idea when he was born. Uh, cause that's not that. Why that, would you, why yeah, would you know, keep right? up with it? Well, well, why would you is because, um, he died somewhere between uh, 108 and 140 AD. Mm. Um, so he was like real close up to, uh, you know, essentially the birth of Christ. Um, and it, yeah, if you're, doing some quick math in your head there. That's about 70 to 100 years after Jesus died. Um, and as such, uh, St. Ignatius is known, uh, he's one of a group uh, known as the Apostolic Fathers, or Apostol- yeah, Apostolic Fathers, um, who are a group of theologians uh, in the kind of first, second century who were believed to have actually known some of the 12 apostles. Uh, so they actually knew, you know, uh, St. Peter, St. Paul, uh, and though, like, so the Apostolic Fathers, their writings collectively together, uh, they actually, their writings actually didn't make it into the Bible, uh, didn't make it into the New Testament. They weren't accepted as canon, but um, they were some of the earliest Christian writers in the time of, uh, like, heavy, heavy Christian persecution, which is why uh, we're talking about St. Ignatius today, because he was a martyr. So... Like I said, he, he's largely known for his letters during that time. Um, those letters spoke on like the origins of the church, the sacraments, and the role of bishops. And this, this is kind of like the first time this is kind of talked about in a cohesive form for like the Catholic Church. Um, so that's really kind of what we're going to focus on today and, the, and how those kind of came about. So on the front end, there's essentially nothing known about Ignatius's life outside of those letters. There's some historical records, but uh, 
we do know that he was eventually chosen uh, to serve as the Bishop of Antioch. Okay. So hometown, hometown boy. Yeah, he, he's from Antioch. Um, and so he's the Bishop of Antioch, and uh, allegedly St. Peter himself uh, actually left directions for him to be appointed to that position. So again, this is, this is like, uh, you know, say Jesus, I mean, I'm trying to find the, the correct family thing, but essentially it's like they're as far removed from like, you know, the grandfather to your grandfather is from you kind of like, right. That's how and far they Peter, are. And yeah, and that, that's part of too, when, you know, Peter was on his way to Rome, they needed a Bishop in Antioch. He couldn't just leave that vacant. Exactly. There you go. It's yeah, Ignatius. Because yeah. St. Peter was the Bishop of Antioch. It's a it, interesting story. Like I said, kind of cool. That's awesome. That it always meshes up. But, uh, but yeah, so, so during that time, yeah, he's the Bishop, Bishop of Antioch. And eventually, um, uh, Rome came to call him because if anyone's familiar with this time period, uh, being Christian was kind of bad. Uh, <laughs> you're going to get got if you're Christian. And, uh, get got. Going to get got. Might be the first time someone has ever explained martyrdom like that. But, uh, so eventually Rome came a calling, as they kind of did in that time. Um, and Ignatius was set to be executed for being Christian. Um, however, the interesting part of this story is, uh, what happened next. Because instead of being executed then and there, Ignatius was actually escorted by, like, a contingent of Roman soldiers to Rome to be executed. So if you think about it, you know, like... You heard of heretics at the time. They would come in, you know, execute you right then and there. They didn't take you on a scenic tour. Uh, and damn sure not back to the capital of Rome, uh, which was, you know, quite a piece uh, down there to, uh, <laughs> quite a piece from Antioch to, to Rome. Um, and during that time, there are literally no other examples of a non-Roman citizen being brought to Rome to be executed. So he is, he's really unique in that area. Uh, and so this is where the kind of oddness starts with his story on being back to Rome. Cause the route they took was weird. You would think that coming out of Antioch, it's a port city that they would, you know, get on a boat, take him to Rome, execute him, be done. They did not do that. Uh, instead they took a land route. They essentially first walked to Syria and then turned east, uh, then turning, yeah, west, and walking all the way across Turkey. They hopped on a boat on the tail end of Turkey, uh, to, uh, went to Macedonia, which is essentially uh, north of Greece. And then later on, and there's no real historical record, they eventually ended up in Rome. But like, Aren't there, aren't there mountains that separate that too? Oh, a whole bunch. whole bunch. They, they walk, walked in, across an entire country via land, which at that time uh, is between like land travel was between 5 and 52 times more expensive than just taking a boat. Really? So this is a very odd thing. Why would, they, you know, why would the Romans take a, uh, a supposed heretic you know, that they're going to just kill anyway through all of this? So... During that journey, and the, again, the weirdness continues, during the journey, the soldiers allowed Ignatius to meet with congregations of Christians. Uh, then the whole time he was in chains, uh, and, uh, and even people were allowed to meet him on like a one-on-one basis, they talk to him. And uh, it was during this time he was allowed, allowed to write letters, and I believe he wrote eight, uh, 
that he sent out to the various peoples, uh, one to uh, another one of the uh, Apostolic Fathers. Um, and those are kind of what the letters we're talking about, where all, all the stuff we know about him is from. Um, surprisingly enough, the letters uh, during this time uh, bore signs of uh, being written in great haste and without a proper plan. Like, yeah, it was like a lot of run-on sentences, kind of a uh, crazy writing. Like, yeah, it, it kind of makes sense, but it's kind of odd that they allowed him to do this. Um, in those letters, he, yeah, and we could do literally a whole podcast on the content of the letters, but like a, a brief overview. Um, he stressed really the value of the Eucharist, uh, and he actually had several historical firsts in like Christian texts. He was the first known writer to emphasize loyalty to a single bishop in each city, assisted by priests and deacons. Hmm. Um, he's the first known writer to uh, argue in favor of replacing the Sabbath, which is uh, Judaism's day of rest, which is generally on a Saturday, um, with the Lord's Day on Sunday. And uh, he also expressed a pretty strong desire uh, for a bloody martyrdom in the arena. Because uh, it is alleged that he was executed in the Col- in the Colosseum, uh, that has now been confirmed. But he- it was pretty much like he was going to be executed for sport uh, within the Colosseum, uh, and he got that wish. Uh, according to legend, uh, he was thrown to uh, quote the wild beast that devoured him and rent him to pieces. Uh, there's no immediate mention of what those beasts were, but uh, St. Jerome later on mentioned that it was lions. So, yeah, he got ripped apart by lions. Uh, eventually, his uh, remains were carried back to Antioch, and when Antioch was captured in uh, 637 by the Rashidun Caliphate, uh, his relics were then transferred to the Basilica de San Clemente in Rome, which is, you know, kind of odd. You feel like they would kind of stay in a general location, as they usually do with our saints. But yeah, no, that's a, that is, yeah, St. Ignatius of Antioch and his odd journey to death and massive effect on Christianity. That's awesome. So a lot of the norms that we have now are things to him. Yeah, and he, he, he definitely was like the first, and like I said, we could actually do a whole podcast on like his letters alone because they are a massive part of like the early Christian texts because again... I mean, the modern equivalent is like, you know, for our age group, it's kind of like going to a bar and listening to a Vietnam vet talk about his time in the war is what he was doing with the apostles. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just hanging out. Exactly. Like, I mean, it was right there in there, right in that time frame. Um, and we have all of those letters. So, like, he had a really, really interesting, like, way you go about it. And, again, he's not not a patron saint of really anything, except there's a couple of cities in Turkey, I think he is. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's he had a very interesting route in a weird way that the Romans dealt with him to his ultimate martyrdom. Uh, but, again, 2,000 years later, you know, we're talking about him on a podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Anything else? Not that I know of, my man. All right, y'all. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Pious the Pig in the Podcast. If you would, if you enjoy it, give it five stars. Uh, We'd really appreciate that. If you really, really, really enjoyed it, share it with a friend, with your mama, with your your cousin twice removed. With your nana. With your nana. With your enemies, because Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Mm Mm-hmm. 
All right. We will see you next week on the Pius the Pig and the Podcast. And if y'all have any suggestions on uh, topics you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at piouspig at gmail.com. All right. Y'all have a good week.